show number 114 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Okay. Welcome to another show. It's another show. Yay. Another show of Look at His Butt. Another show of Look at His Butt. Because we're always looking at his butt. We are. <laughs> um, the first thing I wanted to mention in this show was that the lovely people at More Shat Less Shame left us some comments at the blog. I know. That was so good. So we love the love that goes back and forth between yes, blog us. blog love. Blog love between us and them and us and Frederick at My Star Trek yes, yes. It's all good. So we encourage you, again, to go to More Shat Less Shame to see beautiful pictures. And someone had just posted some screen caps of Explosive Generation. Which is the one where he's the, the teacher. teacher who wants to talk about And sex. he was very young, and it was in black and white, and he yeah. looked so good. Speaking of my Star Trek scrapbook, <laughs> I had something that I wanted to, us to discuss. And okay. I, I want people um, who are listening to also venture their opinions on this. So Frederick posted, he, he had scanned in this really good publicity shot of Kirk and McCoy, and Kirk is holding the spanking list, Yes, we would call can the we, spanking can list. Can we scroll up and see his face yeah. first? I mean, this is, you're just taunting me now. Oh. So he's sort of looking surprised. They're both looking, looking up at who's ever giving them direction, like, what? What? Like they got, You want us to do what? They look like they got caught passing notes in class, actually. <laughs> Don't true. they? Yes. Like, oops. So, so the thing is, Kirk is holding the spanking list that you can actually see that he's writing something on mm -hmm. it. Now, I can't. His lines. I can't quite make out what it says. Can you read what that says? Well, you could like to tilt the computer a little bit, or is it just nonsense? No. It this is do all the. So, is Bill really writing on that, or what? I can't quite tell, but it does. It looks like he's not even taking notes. It just looks. Um, it definitely says. I think do all the, mm -hmm. and the part that's in shadow is women I can find. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm just wondering now. You know, did they actually use one of those? Um, as Frederick had suggested, one of those things like where you write on it and then you pull up the transparent part to erase the. <laughs> The writing, whatever those are called. You know, I know like, what you're called. Um, a magic easel or yes, something yes. like that. We make those for kids, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Because the thing that he's holding doesn't, it's not it's a pen, a, it's just a stylus. Well, yeah, because it's triangle. Yeah. You can see it's triangular. And I don't think it has ink or lead or anything in it. No, but um, it's it, also the... Uh, the device that, that holds the spanking list has lights on it, like Captain Pike's wheelchair. It's so true, yeah. Maybe, you know, the captain writes a note there and hits one of those lights and it transmits it oh, to, to wherever. It seems like it should have a touchpad on it somewhere. Well, they, they weren't <laughs> advanced uh, enough in the future in 1968 to, to have that. Well, I'm telling you, I'm going to put this on the blog, uh -huh. and I want everybody to go look at it and tell tell us what they think it says. Yeah. See if you can read the handwriting that's on there. Is it Bill's handwriting? Does it really say, do all the women on the ship? I think it probably does. Well, it does say, do all the. Do all the. And what else could he? And, and there's some writing on top of it, too. I know, but I, just, I, I can't, can't make it out. I can't get it's just, it's very hard. And it's not like we could ask Bill, because he would never remember. Yeah, 
if he had done that. But I think it is one of those things. You write on it and then We're lucky it's not a, well, not lucky, but knowing Bill, it could be a dirty drawing. Or it's true. It's true. His hand is covering it. Yeah. So, anyway, I just wanted to point that out to That's people. That's great. Because I don't think I've ever seen a picture of it where you could actually read something that was written or even mm -hmm. see that it had writing on it. Or that it had paper. Or, or whatever's on there, right? Because when you see it on the show, he's always writing something on it, but you never actually see right. what he's, it looks like. Right, he's signing it. Yeah. The, the Autograph list, hunter. The spanking list. It's yeah, it's a spanking list. <laughs> what is it that Eddie Usher says to to Glenn to Kevin? I don't know. Well done, Captain well Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it says my best Bill. Bill. <laughs> I should tell that little bit of news right now. Yes, I was telling ahead. you at lunch that um, the strange Twitter love affair between Will Wheaton it's and Bill... It's a Twitter bromance. ...continues because... Maybe it's a twomance. Uh, Will was celebrating the fact that he got a million followers this week, which is pretty awesome. And uh, Bill congratulated him on that via Twitter and mm -hmm. said, congratulations on your one millionth follower. My best. Best Bill. Bill. <laughs> Do you think Bill even knows what's going out on Twitter under his name? No. He's just so if somebody came up to him and said, That was a really nice thing you said about Will Wheaton getting his millionth follower, what would he say? He'd say thank you. <laughs> Do you think he knows what Twitter is? I think we could we could go up to him and say, Bill, that was so sweet of you to send me an email on my birthday and he'd go, if Thank you. I mean, you're welcome. It's quite all right. Do you think we should do that one day? Yeah. Oh, if we ever meet him? Yeah. I said, wasn't that a great conversation that we, we had back and forth on Twitter? It was so nice of you to reply to me. <laughs> and he would. You're right. Yeah. He'd just See, go, thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it, too. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you had um, posted that little excerpt from um, what he had to say about J.J. Abrams. Yes. I was totally befuddled by whatever right. it was. Lost on the interwebs. Okay. Email, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace. Speaking of encounters, well, let's do this. Okay. And then I need to go to another email. Okay. This, I've been meaning to do this for like four or five shows, uh -huh. and I kept forgetting it. This was a little um, something that our, our friend Julia oh. sent us. And the, the topic was, I have finally found the ultimate too much time on your hands <laughs> track fan. And someone has taken canvas shoes. Little little sneakers. Yeah. Well, they don't have the the ties, you know, right. laces like sneakers. But they have totally decorated them beautifully mm -hmm. in an outer space background. And then on one of them, it has the Enterprise. And on the, the elastic part that goes across the top, in Star Trek letters, they've put in Star Trek. It's great. It's really cute. And also, inside, they've, I don't know, drawn peace signs and hearts and uh -huh. my best bill. No. <laughs> so that was pretty amazing. And that sort of um, inspired me to go look for something. Mm -hmm. And here I found Star Trek sneakers actually made by Nike. That's crazy. And so <laughs> these are, are these, you know, black, dark gray sneakers. Well, my uh, thing is, is scrolling on its own again, which I do not like. Um, 
Airwalks 1.1 have Trekkie appeal through the collaboration with Jeff Staple, Star Trek, and Airwalk and feature a silver base with the Star Trek logo along the heel back, mm -hmm. a number embroidered along the heel side. A number is NCC 1701 and the Airwalk logo along the upper. Buy two pairs so one can live long and prosper. <laughs> Well, they, you know, they, they don't make them anymore, but... I wonder how much they cost when they were new. Probably at least $100 or more. Or probably more. Probably more. They are pretty slick looking. They're very silvery. Yes. And they have little, um, you know, uh, Star Trek logos all over the place. Mm -hmm. The uniform patch. They're yep. very cool. They are very cool. I like that. And, and Julia's comment was, the sad thing is I probably would have bought these. <laughs> Which, you know, Julia, who wouldn't? Of course. Now, speaking of encounters with Bill, yes, I want to. I've been saving this as a surprise. <gasps> I want to read you this email that just, just came. <sighs> this is from someone named Baja Beachy. Oh, and uh, she says she is just so glad to have found us. Yay! So this is a new listener. She says, "I've been totally in lust with William Shatner since 1968." <gasps> this person apparently. Has, has been or is a, a horse person or has spent oh. a lot of time at the stables where Bill was because she said, I could spot him at 100 yards from the rear at the stables eee. back in his better days. Ah, as I digress for a moment and enjoy the memories. Now listen to this. Many years later, let me subtract 57 from his current age, that many years, I snuck into the barn and deposited 57 red roses for his <gasps> birthday. Anonymously, of course, since I knew his trainer and didn't want to destroy my so-called reputation by admitting how good my eyesight was from horseback, with a card and phone number and <gasps> snuck out under the fence, too. It was really oh, early wow. morning. And drove off before being spotted. Got a phone call <gasps> at work from him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh and then God. she says, met him at the horse show and a few other times. Oh, Lord, that butt. Wow. So, Baja Beachy... Did what? you do it? What did he say to you? I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't say. We have to know more. Yes. You can't just leave us hanging like that. No, no, oh, no, no. I want to know. We yeah. all want to know. Everyone wants to know. That is an amazingly smart, clever thing to do. Of course. Of course, you'd include your phone number. Of course. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Okay, we have to know more. We we just have to. Oh. Right. Yeah, thank you so much, Baha Beachy. We look, Beachy. We look forward to um, to hearing yes, more. Absolutely. Oh, oh, that's got me all a Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so, shall we? Um, do we need to talk about more? Or should we go watch an episode? Um, I want to talk about one more thing, and okay. uh, this is something I meant for us to talk about months ago, and right. I just forgot. And then I was cleaning my house, and I found this again. Um, <laughs> we haven't had any sex toy talk for ages and ages. I know. So, um, for some reason, I get this catalog from the Vermont Country Store. Oh, my God. And they are the purveyors of the practical and hard to find. And um, they actually sell some pretty good stuff, but they okay. kind of specialize in old lady clothes. Yeah, I can tell from the cover. Yeah, and, you know, these uh, things that you can't find anywhere else. So, they, they managed to find these weird brands of everything uh -huh. from cosmetics to, do you remember Lemon Up? No, I was just going to say, what is Lemon Up? Yeah, it's shampoo and conditioner that they oh. used to sell. They, they still, you can buy, gee, my, your hair smells terrific. Like, they still make that. You can mm -hmm. get it from this catalog. And weird discontinued brands of um, K2 
candy and things like oh, that. Oh, I'm going to have to go through that then because yeah. there are plenty of candies I want. And and just, you know, they have a, a strange array of things that you can get there. And it's all, because it's from Vermont, it's all sort of practical. Like, like, like pots and pans uh -huh. and, you know. Do they have discontinued sex toys? Well, they don't have discontinued sex toys, but in fact, they have sex toys. <gasps> the last place in the world I would expect to find sex toys is in this catalog, and I opened it up and it was like, Holy shit, they're selling sex toys in this catalog. Are these to help you with your Kegel exercises? Some Is of that them, the, the, uh, there's one that yep. does that. It says, it's time to really do those Kegel exercises and relieve incontinence, enhance pleasurable response. Ooh. So that's one of them. But the other ones are very much just for sexual pleasure. So That one looks like a toothbrush. It does. Intimate no, this. I, I know, I know. Toothbrush? Um, no. Oh, okay. So there's intimate massagers. Uh -huh. uh, and they actually show pictures of all of them right yeah. here, you know, of dual pleasure, compact massagers. I love the discreet delight. This pocket-sized yet powerful finger-shaped massager packs a mighty single-speed single speed vibration, waterproof and perfect for travel. <laughs> so that's great. Um, then they have the one you were pointing out, um, which says, explore a new world of sensual pleasure for both of you, it says. The Synergy Pleasure System gently stimulates different areas with five interchangeable heads. This six-speed personal massager, ergonomically designed for your added comfort, will satisfy both you and your partner. Includes a velvet-like travel pouch and a battery charger with two rechargeable batteries. And I have to say the heads, so it does look like a toothbrush. It does. The heads on this one are very similar to the, the USB vibrator that I got that yeah, place. They're yeah. exactly like that. So on this page, they also have... So you have can do this without having to plug it into your yes, computer. Yes, exactly. Um, all natural cr creams allow both of you to experience more pleasure. Uh -huh. So they have one for men and one for women. And then they have a douche enema bag. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why it's, it's on right the right in the center of the it page. Is, and it looks like the kind you see in cartoons. <laughs> it's red. Wait, wait, wait. There are cartoons with douche animal no, bags. No, no. I mean, they, they always look like the kind you put in your bed to keep you warm. Right, right. A hot ones, water bottle. A hot water bottle, but that's exactly what it looks like. So I'm not quite sure why that's here. Um, and then the, down at the bottom, they have a, a little ad for um, uh, yeast infection stuff. And the, the, the Which hopefully you don't get from yeah. the toys. It says at the top, intimate solutions for the next stage in your life. I don't know what that means. The next Are you supposed thing. to give it to uh, teenagers? I don't know. I don't know what that means. But anyway, I just thought that was cool that they had them in here. <laughs> I want this catalog. You can have this one. Good, because I want to look at the candy. Yeah, and, and they are also online. You can order from them oh, okay. online. I have ordered some stuff but from I them like in the But I like flipping pan. through catalogs. Yeah, it's a pretty nice catalog. It's all color. Mm -hmm. I have to say, these intimate massagers are very nicely colored. They're sort of nice light green and And look at how reasonably blue. priced they are. They are. They're well, that's really, practical. It's very practical. So, practical vibrators for the practical lifestyle. That's right. Vermont country For the next store. stage of your practical life. And then, you know, on the opposite page, it's like exercise equipment. Mm -hmm. it's just, I love the way it's just kind of thrown in there with everything else, yeah. you know. You're flipping through, and it's like, oh, here's some stuff to soften the skin on your elbows, and here's natural brushes, and ear remedies, and, you know. Um, yeah. I stuff got. for your eyes and things like that. And then it's like, oh, vibrators. Of course. And then you keep flipping, and then it's fragrances. And then old lady nightgowns. And old lady nightgowns. <laughs> it's just too funny. Here, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I always would give these to my mom, and now I feel uh -huh. a little weird about it. It's like, do I really want to give her this? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, the thing is, 
when you get to be a certain age, you start automatically getting these notices from AARP. Yeah. Maybe you get this, too. Oh, I, don't I don't know. know. It's so funny. Anyway, just wanted to say it. So there we go. Oh, boy. Vibrators. in <coughs> Practical vibrators. Oh, Granny loves your vibrator. Yeah. And it's so reasonable, too. It's so reasonable. And, well, you know, oh. Grandpa, he's not interested anymore. <laughs> he just wants to sit out back and whittle <laughs> and smoke. Okay, let's take a break now. We're going to watch an episode of Star Trek. We sure are. And then we're going to talk about it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Speak up. Comments to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. More fun stuff at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. This podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. you found the best podcasts in the universe. I'll wager Bill really enjoyed doing that episode. I'll wager um, 10,000 quatloos that he that I, I agree with you. So um, we're not wagering against each other, just okay. sort of in a general way. Okay. Well, those are pretty good stakes. <laughs> and the odds that he did her are... Oh, one-to-one. One. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gamesters of Triskelion. Yes. The, the episode that established the Quatlu as the currency of the future. <laughs> because it's appeared everywhere yes. from now on. Whenever I see anything about the currency of the future, it's always in Quatlu's. It's, it's so funny. I wonder where they got that from. It's such a funny word. They made it they up. They made it up, I know. But yeah. I just wonder if they had a... Anyway. Really? Uh, I took a lot of notes for this episode. So we could go through it chronologically, unless you have some overall observations. Well, there's one thing I want to talk about before I forget, because it just yeah. occurred to me. A speculation on his shirt. <laughs> okay, the shirt starts out, it's much too tight. And too too short. Right. Way too short. Okay, then later he, he's in a, a fight with Klug, mm -hmm. and it gets ripped in the back, and then it gets a whole bunch of little holes mm -hmm. in the front. Now, we never again saw a shirt like that. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the episode, he's shirtless. So I think they kind of took the opportunity to retire this shirt that didn't fit and said, okay, then we'll, we'll cut holes in it, and that will be, en be the end of it. Because mm -hmm. we never saw a shirt ripped in that way with little holes. No, I don't think so. Uh, the other weird thing, though, is that later on in the episode, he has whip marks that don't match up to the ones on the shirt. Mm -hmm. So what? Yeah, <laughs> just happened. Now um, the one um, actually uh, along his back looked like kind of a uh, a welt from a man purse. It did. It looked like where the strap would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So several just general observations. This episode was all Bill all the time. Oh wow! It was just a tour de force for him, and it had all every Shatner-esque acting thing that you could want was in this one episode except oh, he, he didn't swallow that was the only he thing didn't that swallow in. but you know the the classic delivery of lines the mm -hmm. the um 
So strange left turns his voice takes yep. so, so effectively. Um, hand gestures. Oh yeah. Lots of hand gestures. Uh -huh. Lots of business. Yeah. Lots of lots of wide-eyed things. Lots of clutching at his throat and rolling around on the ground and fighting and running and every kissing, kissing and shirtlessness and. Butt shots. It was just. It was a tour de Shatner. But there was no EVE. There was no EVE. That's true. Yeah. That was missing. But it was. It was Shatner acting, at its finest. Really, if you want to learn to do um, a William Shatner impression, this would be a very good episode to study. Because it's all in there, and it mm -hmm. even had. Uh, I think, well, I don't know, maybe it was intentional or unintentional, but that little double take he did that we were laughing about, mm -hmm. that was, as you said, bordering on a spit take if he had had water in yes. his mouth. Now, speaking of spit take and, and Shatner swallows, I finally came up, I think, with the perfect way to really describe what an elaborate, what happens in an elaborate Shatner swallow. Yeah. When he has the water in his mouth mm -hmm. and he's tasting it before he swallows, he chews it. <laughs> That's what he does. He chews liquids. I think he does. And you know why he does it? Why? It's sort of warming up for chewing scenery. Oh, yeah. that would be it. And he doesn't want the water to win. Duff. He has to chew it into little pieces. So let's see. Um, yes, let's look at your notes. Oh, okay. So, you know, the thing that it started off with that surprised the hell out of both of us was that uh, they said, well, Kirk said that on the planet there was an astrogation station. <laughs> I didn't even know that rhymed, an astrogation station. So That I, sounds like something they'd have on Sesame Street. It does. So I've just looked up astrogation and okay. astrogator on the internets, and here it is in Wikipedia. The word astrogation, used by science fiction writers. Ah! <laughs> so, first of all, it's not real. It's made up. Uh, beginning in the first half of the 20th century, denotes navigation of spacecraft, either in interplanetary travel or interstellar travel. Blah, blah, blah. Two tasks divine naviga define navigation, determining present location, planning a safe and reliable means of reaching a destination. Uh, that's hilarious. So, so if astrogation is what you're doing, then Chekhov would be the astrogator. Yeah, not, not the, the navigator. No, he'd be the astrogator. It, apparently, it's a contraction of astro-navigation. Yes. Okay. So, but astrogator... Come on. <laughs> and they showed a close-up of it. Yeah. Uh, it looked so stupid. It it's like, just a little round graph. It looked like a giant watch. Yeah. Like the thing kind of <laughs> sweeping around the edge of it. Anyway. Okay, we talked about his shirt being too short. Um, at the very beginning, they get transported. Well, not transported, but they get snatched away from the Enterprise. And then they appear there. And then when we come back from the commercial, he's doing a captain's log. And I didn't quite understand how he was managing to do that while they were on Triskelion and fighting for their lives. He's the goddamn captain. It's so true. he must have some power to he's, do it. Yeah, he's logging the whole time. That was so funny. Do you know what it is? It's a 23rd century version of tweeting. <laughs> You no longer really need to carry an external device. Think it. So the captain's log is basically the captain's tweets. <laughs> and he's just kind of concentrating really hard. Yeah. Oh, Got to do a captain's log now. The whole episode is cut. My best, Bill. Bill. <laughs> it's cutting back and forth between Triskelion and the Enterprise. And the whole Enterprise thing is McCoy and Spock bitching at each other, but also Nimoy being really, really sick <laughs> and looking like he's about to puke. <laughs> And, and, you know, obviously sounding like he has a cold, but, oh, man, he looked, he looked bad. 
That was very funny. I noticed, so I had read somewhere that the guy who plays Galt, mm -hmm. who's the head thrall there, said somewhere, and I forget where I read this, that you notice, and I, I really did notice it, that you never see his arms or his legs. Right, and I, I was trying to think, because I've read the same thing, yeah. and I can't remember what it was. So he was saying that he, he, his impression, since you never see this guy's arms or legs, is that maybe under from the head down, he's not actually humanoid, and he could have tentacles or something mm -hmm. like that. So he was trying to move in a very smooth way and, and really refine his body language so that you couldn't really tell what was underneath the cloak. And I thought that was pretty good. Well, the one time you actually do see him move when he approaches Kirk, yeah. he glides. He glides, It's yeah. like he's, you know, on a little wheeled platform or so something. So that was a very intentional choice on his yes, part. Yes, and it was play. very effective. Yeah, so I thought that was a great little piece of acting. In Who, it, you Whose know. choice was it to give him the appalling skin condition? I don't know. I think they enhanced that a little bit in the remastering. I think this. so. You know what? Mm -hmm. kind of feeds into that he's not fully humanoid thing because his skin looked like it was made of the same stuff as the set. That's true. It was all the asbestos cottage cheese yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I, his name was Galt, and I was just wondering whether that was an Ayn Rand joke or something. Could be. In what way would that be connected to a Ayn Rand? Uh, I don't know. Just that there's a superior class of people and a not and an yeah, inferior maybe class. So. Maybe you know, so. That kind of deserving thing mm -hmm. anyway uh, so then they, they start the battle and Ahura immediately has two opponents which is really unfair uh, but they're girls but they're girls I guess so then they go to the Barbie prison house yes. as you pointed out because it's all pink yeah pink and, and sort of mauve yeah I thought it was great and this was a really good example of when Starfleet gets it right so they go into the prison and they're about to be put into their cells and Kirk subtly signals to Chekhov and um, Uhura that they're going to make a break for it. Mm -hmm. And they all do it in complete unison. They all do their parts really, really well. Yes. That's what you need to be a Starfleet officer. Mm -hmm. In the movie, they couldn't have done that. No. Those guys. No. They would never have been so well coordinated. But you know, in, uh, in the real Star Trek, <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to really old wrinkly Star Trek, uh -huh. um, they, they have that internal tweeting ability. Uh -huh. So he did a captain's log that only Uhura and Chekhov could hear right he tweeted them he tweeted them mental that, tweets that's good that explains a lot actually <laughs> yeah when you graduate your tweeter is in, installed. installed yeah they jack it into your head yeah I was impressed with the fact that of course the obligatory scene of Uhura's drill thrall molesting her whatever mm -hmm. he's gonna do but she fights him off mm -hmm. and they didn't really make a big deal about that except at the end when he leaves her cell she's holding the pitcher in her hand i know <laughs> I, was, I really wish they had shown her like whacking him on the head I with know. whatever she was doing to fight him off on the head so that was good so yep. she defended herself mm -hmm. that was very good even though kirk was all bent out of shape about it and he he gets so bent out of shape he calls her you lieutenant yuhura because <laughs> it was the end what's of the happening day. to lieutenant yuhura because he was and tired. everybody else went who <laughs> now we have to mention on the ship since Chekhov's gone and Uhura is gone, mm -hmm. they're a little short-handed there. So <laughs> yeah, they only have four hundred some people. They had a woman that we had never seen before, and I guess we never saw again. And mm -hmm. her name is Ensign Jana Haynes, and she was pretty awesome because not only did she fill in for Spock at the science station, but she also took over uh, Chekhov's position at the navigation station. So I looked her up in uh, Memory Alpha. Oh, and here you she know, is. I was going to IMDb her, and 
it says Jana Haynes was a 23rd century human Starfleet ensign. Oh wait, what what was the the actress's name? Uh, Victoria George. Okay. She was assigned to the USS Enterprise and served as relief navigator and science officer during Chekhov's absence when a landing party to Gamma 2, blah, 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 they went to Triskelion. So that's the only time we saw her. That's the only time we saw her. It says, uh, unlike most other ensigns, and she was identified as an ensign in the actual credits, Okay. who are normally played by, uh, as recent Starfleet Academy graduates, the character appears to be in her late 30s, mm -hmm. which I think was absolutely true. And it was really nice to see her there being very competent and doing her thing and switching back and forth between science and navigation, she seemed completely competent. So it was just mm -hmm. really nice to see another woman on the bridge doing the thing. Nobody made a big fuss over it. That was yep. cool. It, and it appears that um, she her career, Victoria George, was basically 1966 to 1977. Mm -hmm. And she also appeared on the Mod Squad huh. and um, the Green Hornet huh? and 12 O'Clock High. Just another one of those TV actors. Mm -hmm. But how nice just to see it. You know, I was wondering, and I don't know if this is true or not, in that one horrible Star Trek uh, little record comic book that I have, Ahura is drawn as a white woman who's blonde. <laughs> and I'm, Maybe they were looking at... Well, exactly. I thought maybe she was the model for that. I would have to look a little closer to see if her features actually fit. Uh -huh. But anyway, just really nice, really, really nice to see some other woman on the bridge doing her well, thing. Well, and in, in addition to being the... Uh, the, the feeling for Chekhov as the navigator or astrogator or whatever. She also was the pilot because mm -hmm. she was doing the pilot's job too. Mm -hmm. She did everything. Now you pointed out that Chekhov's thrall was actually played by Jack Lemmon. Yes. In drag. In drag. <laughs> Who went by the name of Jane Ross in this particular episode. Yes. And we did, um, oh, and of course now I, I, I Googled or went away from her because I was looking. Jane Ross was an actual woman. That was our big, <laughs> biggest question. Big question. Because she played things like Truck Driver's Wife in Rocket Attack USA. Uh -huh. But um, she was in Planet of the Apes as a human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, God, like, it's Wild is My Love. Oh, that wow. sounds good. Um, country Music Holiday, Sweet Smell of Success, which I saw recently, but it says she was uncredited, so mm. she's probably an extra. And also on, she played herself on the Frank Sinatra show. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's like all she did. But I, I believe, I mean, it's my thought that, okay, it was a woman, mm -hmm. certainly made up to look very butch. And, you know, she was big. Mm -hmm. I believe her voice was overdubbed by a man doing a drag queen voice. I think you're right Because it really that. sounded like it. It was, totally. This episode had a lot of crane shots. Mm-hmm. That was its distinguishing feature. Yeah. Not quite sure why, but there were a lot of crane shots. They had, they found a crane laying around. They said, let's use it. This will be fun. We never get to do this. Let's ride it. <laughs> let's play with it. Yeah. They were able to borrow it for a week, and they just used the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. This episode had a lot of arm porn. <gasps> Almost as much arm porn as Mirror Mirror. Not quite yeah, as much, though. but... It was a lot. Yeah. His arms looked really good. Yeah, bare arms where yeah. you can see those muscles. Yee. Oh, looking very good. Oh, we also got a little bit of leg. That's true. We had leg, leg porn. Yeah, when he uh, was knocked down and when he went to mm -hmm. get up, his bottom of his pants, which only go to mid-calf, mm -hmm. you know, kind of rode up. So you could see a little leg there. A little leg. We got to see a lot of Bill in this episode because he was shirtless and we got to see some leg and 
even when he had his shirt on, it was kind of riding up, and you could see his back and everything. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of skin on. And we do body. have to mention the the toupee needed to be washed. It was bad. Yeah, the toupee was bad. Now, uh, Shauna, besides you know she's a drill thrall and everything. Boy, does she run like a girl. Oh yeah. It was terrible. She's kind of yeah. She looks like she's dancing there. Yeah. yeah it's kind of arms swaying back and forth. And you know, I've always I mean ever since I was a kid and first saw this thought. Oh my God! What a homely woman! I mean, and the hair does the absolutely nothing the for candy her. Hair. And you know these these huge doe eyes that just make the rest of her face look like mm -hmm. there's not enough of it. And then I finally looked closely, and I think she had a nose job. I think so too. And yeah. it doesn't fit with her face. Her face is odd looking, and the makeup doesn't yeah. help it. In, no. in enhances the oddness of it. And the hair, oh my Cotton God, candies. yeah. So bad, so bad. Here's a question that I always have, and this episode brings it up again. Whenever, and this is not specific to Star Trek, but this always happens when you have humans involved with aliens, non-humans, humanoids. They always manage to get their point across by kissing. Don't you think aliens would be appalled by that? Yeah. Ew, what are you doing? Get your mouth off of me. Ew, but they never do. Well, in, in, in my defense or whatever, the very first story I wrote, mm -hmm. first Star Trek story I ever wrote, had a, a humanoid alien woman asking Kirk if humans really do that because she had read about it, mm -hmm. like in books. And he said, Yes, here I'll, I'll show you. And he does, and she goes, and he does. You know, and she goes, your tongue. It's like, <laughs> what are you? Ooh, ooh, yeah. So, it's, so you know, okay. Think of it this way: What if the aliens' way of showing I love you was to to stick his long pointy finger in your ear and come out the other ear? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lips would not be an erogenous zone, or as they point for everyone, and as they point out in Star Trek VI, not everyone keeps their private parts in the same place. Exactly. This is true. Why you would keep them in your knees, I don't know, but... It's just kind of... Uh, anyway, it just... Watching this, it really brought it home because, you know, she's talking about how she's been on this planet since she was born and blah, 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 and then he just lays one on her and she's all receptive and then... Kisses him back with her mouth wide open. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I gotta say though, one of my favorite woman-initiated kisses in Star Trek, not in this episode, is in By Any Other Name. Mm -hmm. And remember, Kirk teaches Kalinda Kalinda how to kiss, mm -hmm. and so when she does it to him, she perfectly mimics him. She holds his chin, tilts yep, his yep. head, just like he did to her. It's great. It's beautiful. And opens her mouth, just like he did. Yep, it's great. The scene that he has with her when he's telling her all about love is so Bill. It's oh, so, it, it's just... He Bill showed up to work early that day. He does all his tricks. He does, like, head tilting and working his mouth, and he holds her shoulders. And, and then when she walks away, he's like... Oh, almost had it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was realizing, and of course this is true, and other people have pointed it out, but in the climactic scene where Bill talks to the brains in jars, mm -hmm. it's a monologue. Oh, yeah. And you don't, 
I wasn't perceiving it that way because he's talking to the brains in jars and the overdubbed voices are talking back. When he needed to shoot that scene, people off stage are reading the dialogue. A to script him. girl. Yeah, yeah, it must have been really hard for him to do it, but boy, does he do a good job. Oh, that. yeah. He is great, and he looks great, too, because he had oh, no yeah. shirt on and kind of flexing his abs mm -hmm. and everything. And it's, his, his face is very alive mm -hmm. throughout this episode and just... And he's doing a lot some of lovely close-ups. Some risk is our business kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. you know? He's being the the very clever Captain Kirk. Yes. I liked that the uh, brains in jars say that uh, his spirit is indomitable. Yes, <laughs> I like yes. too when he suddenly gets his great idea. Yeah. it literally is like something hit him <laughs> on the head, and the light bulb went off. I mean, his reaction was, <gasps> "Oh wow, I've just had an idea." Yeah. That was really funny. And this is as good as the time I figured out how to make a Gorn cannon. <laughs> they have the fight where he's the representative of humanity, basically. Mm -hmm. And they establish a set of rules where some people have to stay on the blue and some on the yellow. And everyone immediately violates this rule yeah! from, like, second two. But, you know, it was really stupid to set up a rule like that when you knew your budget wasn't going to allow you to do Retail. 47 takes. So stupid. Very funny. Now, here's the thing I want to know also. This was season two, and it was near the end of, not near the end, but sort of two-thirds of the way along. Couldn't they have sent the Organians to sort these guys out at some point? Organians exist only in one episode, as far as I can see. See, that could have been something that they did, and I know that people didn't really think about series that way, but it would have been so interesting to have these conflicts between these very advanced beings like the Organians mm -hmm. and the, the Metrons and these brains in jars and all the other ones we see that have these superior powers and we never see them interacting. Like who would win in a fight between the Metrons and the brains in the jars? More, more to the point because the brains in the jars have no physical ability, mm -hmm. although yeah, would be who would win Metrons or, Organ well Organians wouldn't fight. So yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. Or you know, um, Trelane versus Brains in Jars. That would have been good. <laughs> I would have bet Trelane on that one. You know, why didn't Kirk think of this? Smash the glass and smash <laughs> the brains. Exactly. Yeah, I, there are just too many... But I, I don't know, would the Organians, if they knew about this, become involved? I mean, it's not a war. No. But they seem, the Organians basically seem to be for human rights in general and not oppressing people, non-interference. Well, but they interfere. But the, the, the brains in the jar... They seem to be anti-violence. Just anti-violence? I don't know. I mean, they're very upset when Kirk and Spock blow up the warehouse. That's true. And, and they, don't, they refuse to allow the Klingon human thing to escalate mm -hmm. into anything. Mm -hmm. But... I mean, how far how far does that go? Does it have to be a threat of an actual war mm -hmm. before they'll do anything? I don't know. And if that's true, if they've been around all this time, why was there the Romulan War? Why were there all? Why are there other wars going on like that one on the planet where they're fighting it with computers? I think the Organians have a lot of power, mm -hmm. but I think it's 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 like limited to their planet. What about Trelane's parents? What about them? Well, why didn't they ever do anything about any of this stuff? Because it's like the lady you met. She just wants to shoot her mouth off. And when you said, okay, well, yeah, then you should run for, you know, public office. Oh. 
You know, they've got their hands full with Trelane. Oh, I suppose so. And he's got a hell of a commute. <sighs> that should be what they do the next Star Trek movie about. Trelane? No, not Trelane, but this concept of these superpower beings that exist throughout the galaxy that don't do anything. Why don't they do anything? Yeah, and why, why are the Borg allow, allowed to, to float around doing whatever? You can understand the Q not doing anything because they're totally self-involved. Oh, yeah. They don't give a shit about anybody mm -hmm. else. But, yeah, the, there's the Metrons mm -hmm. who, um, you know, say maybe you will develop into to something interesting. There's the Organians. There's the Brains in Jars. Mm -hmm. and uh, Oh, there's some others that they run across, too. Uh-huh. I, I can't remember them all right now, but... There are clearly superior species out there that aren't doing shit in the galaxy. They're not taking care of anything, and I think they should. And whatever happened to Harry Mudd's androids? <laughs> well, you've got McCoy's disease. I do. But here's the thing: you're saying they aren't they aren't taking care of anything. the The question to me is: there's a couple questions. Why aren't they taking care of anything, and why do we perceive they should be taking care of mm. anything? Okay, that's fair. I think that's fair. I think Kirk, getting back to this episode, when he, when Shauna asks him, why did you take the, my punishment on you? He mm -hmm. said, it's the custom of our people to help each other. Right. And I think that's kind of the Federation Starfleet credo, right, is that we should be helping each other. Yeah, but these other things, Metrons and, and Brains in Jars and things, aren't part of the Federation. That's true. So why are we assuming they should play by our rules? Well, I want to know what their rules are and, yeah. why, and why they think that they shouldn't be helping other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and just explain it to us. Yeah. We need to know. I think in the Brains in Jars, I think they just have a contempt for anyone lower than them. I think that's true. And... Uh, why Why did the Metrons get involved in that fight in the first place? I don't know. Because they're... See, there's always this... That This is a thing in science fiction, right? And they did this on Star Trek, that these superior beings are like these observers, right? Yeah. They're always watching things, but they never actually participate. But we never find out why. And there's always some kind of hint about, like, free will or people need to find things on their own, which that argument the only... The Glinda argument. Yeah, that only goes so far. Mm -hmm. Because... You don't, there's a lot of unnecessary suffering in the world, and assuming, you know, throughout the galaxy, that could be averted, and suffering does not necessarily equate into progress. You mm -hmm. don't always need to suffer to make some progress. Well, like those, those uh, people in the empath. Yeah. I mean, we think their, their point of view was whack, but they did have a point of view. Yeah. So that kind of feeds my question of we're making assumptions that the more powerful someone is, the nicer they should be, mm -hmm. or, or something, which is absolutely not the truth. I mean, it's not true of our own species. No, it's not, but I don't know. I, I feel like there's some kind of a lot, and well, I was going to say human obligation, but it's not human, obviously, mm -hmm. of just some sort of obligation to not be completely self-involved. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, that, that's... It doesn't seem like a bad philosophy, but I'll say that. Occasionally in science fiction, there is the idea that these superior beings that we are not aware of or, or are marginally aware of are controlling our lives. And the reaction of Captain Kirk in the one with the Organians and the Klingon is 
you've taken away our right to make our own decisions. Mm -hmm. And then he feels like a fool because, mm -hmm. you know, he's itching for a fight. But there is that aspect of human nature. And in the, uh, in the Larry Niven known space books, mm -hmm. you know, the puppeteers are, are actually doing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And you don't, the people don't know about it. Or when they find out, they're like, what? What were you, you were do? You're responsible for that, you know. So, I, I I get that. I totally get that. There's a very blurry line mm -hmm. between relieving suffering and controlling other people's lives. But I, I it still seems like there could be some ground. I, and you know, it's like people often bring this up when they're arguing um, why religion can be really bad. It's mm -hmm. like you know all the stuff in the Bible or whatever holy book you want. You know, telling you about how to behave and things like that. Why didn't it say in the Bible, well, just wash your hands more often? Mm -hmm. That would have helped a lot. Why didn't yeah. we know about that? You know, like that kind of simple thing, some piece of advice or some guide to living that that is a very small thing, but that would relieve a huge amount of suffering and actually help advance society in mm -hmm. very positive ways. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and kind of to your point, getting back to the Organians. They are the ones who really drop the ball <laughs> because they step in and prevent this war. Mm -hmm. And getting back to your original point, we never see them again. Yeah. So what are they, you know, like mom and dad who, who make this threat, do that again and, and you're going to get grounded, but they never follow through on it? Or is their power, as I was saying, very limited mm -hmm. to this one small sector of the galaxy or... Um, I mean, they're, you know, it's like they have the powers of Superman, mm -hmm. but they don't give a shit. Yeah, and I, I think the best, the, the thing that we would want is not just an explanation. I think that would make a great mm -hmm. movie, okay? There's a plot for a movie right there that mm -hmm. there are these beings, and maybe, maybe it's the Organians again, or maybe it's somebody else. I mean, I would be willing to accept that as a throwback to the original series when they make the next Star Trek movie, mm -hmm. if they referenced it somehow, but put a totally new spin on it and actually made it a quest for knowledge where mm -hmm. we're trying to find out why. And, and, you know, a good writer could come up with a really good reason why or something. You know, I thought that they did a really good job of that sort of thing in Next Generation when they got to the very end and that Q was trying to reveal some stuff to Picard mm -hmm. without actually revealing some stuff to him and saying, look, you've got to be smart. You've got to figure this stuff out for yourself. But he was giving him enough help so that he could get to the right mm -hmm. thing in the end. It wasn't just like, oh, hands off. We're not going to help you through this at all. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Is it a cop-out or would it be a cop-out if the superior alien being, because this is an argument the God people make, mm -hmm. um, if their take on it was, it's too complex for you to understand, which is the God people mm -hmm. thing, you know, that God has this plan that we cannot understand. Yeah. But if, let's say that in the case of this science fiction world mm -hmm. we're, we're dealing in, that that were literally the, that was literally the truth, that there, there was this superior mm -hmm. intelligence, metrons or whatever, who when you finally got to talk to them, and say, what's going on? What is the purpose of this? Mm -hmm. And if they if they were to say, you cannot understand. You need to evolve a few more billion years before. Because it would be like sitting down with a kindergartner and uh, 
a, an average one, not a genius one, and say, let's play chess. Could he possibly sure. understand strategy, even if you told him all the rules? Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, you're not ready. I guess so, but it, there's a part of me that also says, if they're that advanced and that superior, they should be able to break it down in a way that our tiny little brains could understand. I don't know. I consider myself quite a bit advanced and superior to my dog. <laughs> but we don't even speak the same language. So there's no way I can break it down enough to tell him, you don't have to bark at Lena <laughs> when she's coming up the walk. You love her. You know her. She's not a burglar. <laughs> You recognize, there's no way that's ever going to get through to him. <laughs> and he, being the primitive little lovable being he is, doesn't even have enough complex thinking to be wondering, why do they try to stop me from doing this? <laughs> this is what I do, I'm a dog. I think that would make a great movie. About my dog? <laughs> I, I really, I think that would be, if they could find a way to make that, mm -hmm. I think that would be really good. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's um, it would be, if it was, you know, done right and done seriously, what I think the best science fiction is, which it confronts universal moral questions. Mm -hmm. And it confronts yes. our morals in ways, just as you and I have been talking about, is our, we think our morals, our personal morals, are some sort of absolute. Mm -hmm. Are they? Do they apply? Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I, I think mm -hmm. that that... Having a non-interference directive is very different than having a help them understand directive. Mm -hmm. And one wonders, you know, Star Trek has the non-interference directive, which they break every other episode. Yeah, but Kirk's always got a good reason. Well, not, I mean, they did it on TNG, too. You yeah. know, everybody breaks it. It's this rule that nobody follows. So if there are alien species that also have a non-interference thing, do they also break it all the time? Like the Q? Yeah. I mean, they sort of seem to have a hands-off policy, but there's Q coming around and, you know, sleeping with Picard I and think, doing all that stuff. I think Q is, is like the... um. The psycho of the Q or something. <laughs> because, you know, the other Q, they, they're all going along in what they consider to be normal, which is, don't bother with those. They're kind of entertaining, but, you know, don't bother. And then he is totally fascinated with them mm -hmm. and loves to play with them like they are his toys, mm -hmm. very much like Trelane. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he's either very immature Q or arrested development Q or insane Q or something. Mm -hmm. Because he's definitely um, kicking against his own society. Yes. Didn't we talk once about the, the many speculations that Trelane's actually Q? Yes. Yeah, that's, yes. That's big in fanfic. Mm -hmm. hmm. Very interesting questions. And what about those Talosians, the Talos Four people? Oh, yeah. What about them? They're... The strangest thing to me about the Talosians is the difference in them in the two episodes we saw them in. Because in the Pike episode, mm -hmm. they, um, they're evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're kidnapping people to have this zoo, and then they realize they'll never be able to break Pike, and he can leave, and 
Zena wants to stay anyway. Mm -hmm. When we see them at the end of the Kirk episode, they're quite benevolent, yeah. allowing Pike to make this choice. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that at all in the first episode. You get, we're letting you go because you don't fit in. But yeah. there's no promise about we're not going to grab other people, which is why they have that whole rule about you can't go to Talos. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think that that is definitely a flaw with that kind of episodic storytelling that they, they did on that version of Star Trek was that they yes. set up these incredibly interesting situations with these super-powered beings and then never came back to them. But the flaw with the non-episodic, which they did in TNG, was the Borg. Right. You bring them in, you go, these are absolutely undefeatable, yet every time they show up, you in some way defeat them or escape them or something. It's like, uh... Yep. What? Thought they were undefeatable, you know, so... <sighs> well, that's turned into a it's, rather well, deep discussion. It makes you respect... The, the writers who do set up rules mm -hmm. in their fiction and mm -hmm. follow them. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, the, one of the huge accomplishments of Larry Niven, and he is one of my favorite writers, is his books collectively are known as the books of known space mm -hmm. because the books do not violate each other's rules. Mm -hmm. If he introduces an alien species that is a certain way and it appears in a totally different book that is not part of a trilogy or anything, that's how they are. And the history he establishes of Earth is the history of Earth in every one of these books. It's mm -hmm. an amazing accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Most writers can't do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say one Certainly more thing. Certainly TV writers aren't allowed to. No, they're kind. not. That's true. Not <laughs> allowed to do that. I was going to say one more thing about this episode. And I've completely forgotten what it was. Oh, i got to say, mm -hmm. I absolutely, absolutely love... The, the, the move Kirk does when his hands are tied and he does... Oh, when he rolls over. And he rolls over and, and, and gets him in front of him. And he actually does that. You can tell that is Bill. Oh, yeah. It's and I, my reaction watching it this time was, let's see Chris Pine do that. Ah. <laughs> because Bill was an excellent stage fighter. Yeah. And I think that whole awareness of your physicality and your presence comes through his whole performance, mm -hmm. you know. He, he is totally committed to it. And the, the guy who taught stage fighting, who was the, the stage combat director at Stratford during the years when Bill was there, has said he was one of the best stage fighters he mm -hmm. ever saw. Mm -hmm. He's great. Hey, it, it's true about everything that, that Bill is in, and, and I think that uh, he and Nimoy are such a good contrast in that way that... Bill was always so aware of what he was doing with his body, mm -hmm. with his gestures and where his hands were and the way he mm -hmm. was standing or how close he was like in proximity to other actors. And, and Nimoy was always so inhabiting that character of Spock where he would deliberately not move his hands or right. gesture. He never gestured. He had that stillness. Yeah. That would be, and it was more than just standing still. It was still acting, yeah. you know. And I just don't think you see that very much. You don't see actors who are really aware of what their bodies are doing. They're not trained that way. Yeah. They're not trained that and way. And Bill still does that, even on Boston yeah. Legal. He's, he's so, um, his, his body language is so important. I was just thinking of the several episodes when we had actually called that out, including the one where he was talking to um, Spader when, when Denny is, is 
confessing to Alan how scared he is mm -hmm. about it and the way he's sitting behind his desk and he's kind of got his hands folded like this. Yeah. And it's so deliberate and so powerful. Just, you know, it, it's not the director telling him, okay, Bill, I no. want you to sit there like this. Like, that's what his character would be doing. And he's very aware of everything that he's doing with his hands and his body and his posture and all that. And the interesting thing is when Bill has talked about working with Spader, because they have two very different approaches to acting, which is Spader more or less plans it all out. Mm -hmm. And with Bill, it's more spontaneous, but... It's an incredibly controlled spontaneity. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's totally in the moment and making that choice to just sit there with his hands folded. But many other actors would have had to to go through the the thinking process, breaking down the scene and going, how can I most effectively communicate that and finally come to that decision? Mm -hmm. Bill is, you know, he's reading the script and he's going, okay, and he's going with his gut. He's mm -hmm. going with his instinct. But his instinct is right so many times. Mm -hmm. And he's he's got such control of his face, his voice, his body, that if his instinct is saying, sit there with your hands folded, the whole thing is working to communicate that mm -hmm. emotion. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you see it in every Star Trek episode mm -hmm. where he's doing it. We were and he's totally committed, totally committed to every choice he makes. We were laughing a little bit, but it was so it's so Shatner and so good in the scene where he's talking to the brains in the jars, and they're and he proposes the wager to them, and mm -hmm. they're wagering Quatloos, and he's walking around the outside of it, and he's got his hand up in the air, yeah, like, and he's kind of shaking his head like, but he's not saying anything. He's just doing the gesture until mm -hmm. the time that I was imagining them filming it, and the script people off camera kind of saying it, and he's waiting and waiting for the, the place where he says his line, but it's so natural and so. He feels so that. Still. He doesn't he does. stand there and listen to him. No, he feels he's it. just doing it and he's acting away with his uh -huh. hand up in the air. He's so good. He is. He is. Nobody does that kind of stuff. Wow. Oh, he's great. He I wants to it. make love to the mountain. <laughs> he wants to embrace the, the mountain. mountain with his teeny toes. <laughs> he wants to have a relationship <laughs> with the mountain. Oh, it's so funny. oh, Bill, too wonderful. Too anyway, wonderful. so I have to say, um, this is a bad episode as far as the writing and everything goes, but it's a wonderful Bill episode. It's just Bill, Bill, Bill. Yes, all the time. It, it is a great Star Trek episode, and I gotta say, it probably is one of my favorites. If I was ranking them, you know, this would definitely be in the in the top half, if not the top third, because you know of the all the wonderful stuff going on. Oh, just so much of him. I also have to say though. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that has annoyed me about this episode many, many <laughs> times, and, and we noticed this when we were watching it, is um, when Spock asks Mr. Scott, could we exceed warp oh. six? Oh, no, no, no. And so Spock like has to promise McCoy and Scott mm -hmm. that if we don't find them here, we'll go back and look at the other place. And all of a sudden, Mr. Scott says, we can go over warp seven. Yeah. You should have been court-martialed right then. I mean... New new Spock <laughs> would have put you in a canister and, and you know fired you away from the ship. Airlocked you out, you know, onto the ice planet. It's true. That's true. 
That is not how you, you know. No, and that's because you don't feel like it. Because you don't like, want to follow orders. So. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm going to hold my breath till I turn blue. You know. That was a that was a badly written scene. That yes. Whole thing. yes. Even the even the little jokey sort of Spock leans in like he's going to tell them a secret, and the camera zooms in on them, and he says this thing: "Are you going to declare a mutiny?" And then they all kind of go whoop, and then this camera zooms out again, and they all straighten up. It's like what? But what was that for? You know. <laughs> That bit of him, psst, you know, come here, I'm going to tell you a secret, is either or both badly written and or badly directed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why it looks so incredibly awkward because Spock wouldn't do that. He would never do that, especially not given his... his uh Performance, I mean performance as Spock, not Nimoy acting, mm -hmm. throughout this entire episode where they're not on the planet, they're not in the surrounding solar system, they have one clue, it's the only clue they have, so he's going to follow it. Yeah, it, it, like, and then he explains it to McCoy that basically McCoy is still, no, I don't understand. Well, then McCoy looks stupid because in this case, Spock's logic is absolutely the right thing to do. Yes. As you point out, they have no other option yeah. they searched the other place yeah like uh, it's just that whole conflict there was ridiculous because we've contrived. seen very contrived we've seen in other episodes when kirk would do a similar thing everybody was like oh what a great idea you know mm -hmm. but because it's spock who proposes it then they have to be yeah like, there's oh. a certain xenophobia there yeah. you know <sighs> well listen let's take a little break from this and then we've got one more thing oh, that we, we do can, we do we okay have, oh, just but it's going to be short and it's because maynard sent us something <gasps> right and right we right. have to do it so i don't want to give away what it is okay some points yeah there's some points there's some points first of all high production values yes definitely second of all they're actually doing a star trek episode. they are and they're using actual dialogue from the star trek so we should explain what we're talking about this was because our good friend maynard said, says to us he writes us an email and he says hi there Shatman butt fans i hope you have had the chance to experience the triple x adventure of quote this sure ain't star trek unquote how come they didn't call it, I can't believe it's not Star Trek? <laughs> Probably for grammatical reasons. The adult industry is known for its adherence to avoidance of double negatives. <laughs> or Star Trek, but not as we know it, etc. So um, he had included the uh, cover to this particular piece of uh, porn, mm -hmm. which is a Hustler production, the yes. wonderful magazine Hustler. And it, in fact, is called This Ain't Star Trek Triple X. Yes. So uh, we just watched some of it because we felt like we needed to just yeah. to comment on it. Um, and it had high production values. It did. The sets looked really good. The oh, costumes were costumes pretty good. Were pretty good. Um, they had the sound effects going. They did. They had music and everything. And um, 
the episode they were doing was Space Seed. Uh-huh. Get, it? Get, it, get it? Get it? Get it? Get it? So their mission is to basically go out and fuck. Uh-huh. Um, and, of course, it's got, you know, the, the typical porn level of acting, which is not good. And then you get into the sex, which, I mean, it's porn sex, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's porn sex. But I will say this. The guy playing Kirk, Evan Stone, uh-huh. maybe we should IMDb him, um, has done his homework. Yes. He was being very Shatnerish in his moves. And in when we finally got to the Kirk sex scene, first we had to sit through Spock and then Khan. Um. When we finally got to his scene... And he, you know, was kissing the woman and, and feeling her tits and everything. And he was sort of standing behind her. You could believe it was Shatner because yeah. you couldn't really see his face that much. Mm-hmm. And he had those moves down. So that part of it was really good. That part of it was good. The part of it um, where he stopped being like Shatner was the fact that he had no hair on his whole body. I know. Which was a little weird. Yeah, well, the other thing we should point out is that Spock had no balls. That's true. Um, Kirk definitely did have balls. Yes. But, um, you know, it's like... Uh, I, I know, we're going to talk about that next. Uh, but I don't believe that Captain Kirk or William Shatner, when they are having sex, would be talking like a porn star and just going, Fuck! 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 I'm gonna fuck you, you little Vulcan slut. I love the palm far. I don't. I don't <laughs> think Bill would ever say anything like that. In fact, I was thinking about what Bill would say during sex, mm-hmm. and I think his his if he talks at all, which I'm not sure he does. He might yeah. not be one of those guys. It would be along the lines of, "Oh my God, you're so beautiful," etc. Yeah. 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 It wouldn't be like, "Oh fuck." Yeah. <laughs> well, and at one point when he slipped in his denying that he's ever done any of the fans. He he said fans talk too much in bed, so <laughs> and probably what they're saying is, do we like Captain Kirk? Can I call you Jim? You know, yeah, I think he's more like the strong, silent type in bed. But he's a screamer at the end. That's true. Well, you know, it just it's kind of a build up to what happens. Yeah, at the end. yeah. Um, I also don't think that when Bill or Captain Kirk is having sex, um, their cock slips out as much as <laughs> this guy <laughs> did. <laughs> No. His homing device was not working it properly. It totally wasn't working properly. But it was a big cock. It was pretty big, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It just wasn't staying where it was supposed to stay. No, that's for no, sure. No, no, no. Oh, boy. Oh, well, so, so, so you we, know. Can, we cross that off the list. We can say we've done that. <laughs> now, let's talk about something a lot more fun. Um, another email from Down Under from Maynard, and he sends this to us with the. Uh, text on the 24th this will rock sydney to its very foundation and then in parens he puts well a boy can dream can't he (laughs) so uh, this place um is having a film festival and they are showing on monday the 24th of august william shatner's mysteries of the gods which we were just talking about in the last episode so uh it's part of a, a series that they're doing and it's called uh paranoid politics in the archives So I want to read what they have to say about it. Oh, okay. It says, Mysteries of the Gods is a full-length documentary portraying the ancient astronaut theories of Swiss-born researcher, they should have put that in quotes. Oh, really? Eric von Daniken. The film is hosted and narrated... Eric von Daniken. Yeah. (laughs) The film is hosted and narrated by no less than William Shatner himself. Everything from the Peruvian crystal skull to the megalith structures in the jungles of Southeast Asia is accepted as evidence for the ancient astronaut theory. Cave drawings, old legends, biblical stories, and even some psychic visions of the late Gene Dixon are understood as stone-cold facts. 
Eric von Däniken's reputation was still quite unspoiled at the time, so all the arguments, even the most far-fetched, are shown with a great confidence. William Shatner is, as usual, overacting his part. With all the strange scientific people, long shots, enthusiastic Shatner, and eerie 70s synthesizer music, this amazing documentary was from the day one, was from day one destined to become a cult classic. Well, I like at the top of the poster, we are the children of spacemen. Uh, it's a great poster, and I'm going to put it up there. I've never seen this poster before. I haven't either. And it's totally crazy looking, so everybody needs to go and look at it. <laughs> but that's awesome that it's being actually shown as part of a series. Mm-hmm. Because it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> the ancient legends are true. Millenniums, millenniums ago, superior men from, it says superior men. From distant galaxies came to Earth, loved Earth women, and founded the human race. Now, you know what? What? Nowhere in that documentary does it say no, that. No, it doesn't say that at all. I remember the geeky NASA guy? Yes. <laughs> the big glasses. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think that the person who made this poster just made stuff up. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they, they just kind of went, hmm, I wonder what this is about. I, I know what I'd like it to be about. <laughs> And then they made the poster. <laughs> like that. That's good attitude. Make your world the way you want exactly. it. Exactly. New. No, now for the first time, see their astounding legacy, as incredible as Star Trek. It says that on the poster. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, I hope it really does rock Sydney to the core. Yes, I, we want to hear about the so reaction, Maynard. Oh, we need to see what's in the, the local Sydney papers. Maybe we should send a note to... Um, like the Sydney skeptics or something, and say, please don't review this movie for us and tell us how crazy it is. Yeah, but then if they're true skeptics, they will really hate us for sending them to the Oh, no, they'll, they'll know. Oh, okay. I, but I, I want to see uh, if they like it as much as we did. I'm sure they would. They'd get a kick out of it. Ah, oh, so funny. Wow. So we've been on the, I've seen a lot today. We have. We've done Gamesters of Triskelion. Space Seed Porn. We've talked about um, Mysteries of the Gods. Mm-hmm. And... Everything else in between. Yep. And vibrators in the Vermont country store. Yeah, well, I'm going to go through that catalog because <laughs> I want the candy. That candy. <laughs> oh, yeah. They might have some of my old favorites, you know, that you can't get anymore. So let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it I up. I think that's going to do it for now. And uh, next time, I don't know what we're doing next time. I don't either. But it's, it's going to be exciting because Bill's always out there being exciting. And we have a backlog of emails and yes. blog comments. And you guys... Just, yeah, oh, you're amazing with all you the are. stuff you're coming through on. We are so happy with our listeners. We are. So uh, keep doing it. And you should all be following Bill on Twitter because it's really hilarious to see him <laughs> saying, my best, best Bill, Bill. <laughs> no matter what's going out there. And, you know, uh, it would be great if somebody would meet him in person and play a Twitter joke on him. I think that would be great. <laughs> it might be us one day. <laughs> Thanks for that tweet, Bill. Yeah. Oh, no problem. What's a tweet? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Uh, let's go watch. Why is Captain Kirk climbing a mountain? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>